Hello and welcome to Sleeve Notes, the show where I talk to some of our biggest and fastest rising stars from the world of music. show today i'm joined by rick witter from shed seven michael what an absolute thrill to be talking to you this morning well i think the thrills are mine and i've got to say congratulations on the number one album well thank you very much yes uh i believe that perseverance and clinging on there means that you can achieve anything so i I, i'm kind of going to insist that the government put shed seven on the school curriculums (laughs) i think i think you should have your own stamps as well shed seven stamps (laughs) yeah well i certainly think i need the keys to to my fair city where i live i need the keys to those and then i can do whatever i want whenever i want but i can't see that happening so there you go hey you never know i think it's a fantastic success story i mean i followed your band since you started, really, you know, the, the whole Britpop thing. I, I can remember you guys, what, 30 years ago, the debut album? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's quite scary, really, isn't it, when you think of it like that, especially because I'm only 28. I don't really understand how that's worked. <laughs> <laughs> it's the rock and roll lifestyle. But tell me, how did you guys start off in the first place? Because you started in York, didn't you? We did, yes. So, uh, kind of potted history. So, me and Paul, guitarist, we met when we were 11 at first year at school and we kind of bonded over a love of music 
And then when we were about 13, we thought, well, why don't we try giving this music go, uh, a go, you know? And I, I actually kind of almost remember the conversation we had as 13-year-old kids where we were deciding who was going to be the singer and who was going to play guitar. And I I remember being eight, nine years old and standing in front of my mirror with a hairbrush singing the, the pop songs of the day into the mirror. So I insisted that I would be the singer. So that meant that Paul had to then go and somehow sort a guitar and learn how to play it. And fair play to him because he self-taught, self-taught himself and, and is an amazing guitarist now, but he picked it up really quickly. So... Obviously, when you're 13 and 14, you're not writing the best songs that you could ever write in the world. And there's probably, we've bo- probably both got cassettes in our attics with those songs on now, which would be quite interesting to go back to here. So we just spent years honing our craft, I guess. Uh, we were in school bands together. I remember playing a lot of gigs in pubs in a school band that we were in at the time. Funnily enough, Tom Gladwin, the bass player, was also in this school band. We'd get told off by teachers when we were 15 because we'd advertised the fact we were playing in a pub and we'd put posters up around the school corridors and obviously that's not the the thing to do so we'd get told off what are you doing you know so we've kind of all we've we've always loved music and wanted to be creating and creative and you know looking back now as a very early 50 year old man it's since we were 13 we've just done it we've that's all we know you know and and it makes it even more amazing how we've managed to get that number one after so many years. <laughs> it's what you dream of. You know, when we were 13, we'd be sat in Paul's bedroom or we'd be sat around my kitchen table in our family homes imagining what it would be like to have a number one. And now we have. The only experience I can talk about is the fact that all I've been is Paulie since. <laughs> I said at the beginning, it's this rock and roll lifestyle.
but Shed 7 wasn't like an overnight success. You know, a lot of hard work honing your craft. One of the most successful bands of that era. You had 15 top 40 singles, four top 20 albums. Yeah, so, I mean, it's funny that because... It's only when we're told that that we actually realise that that happened. Because I think in the 90s, it was such a whirlwind and there was such a lot going on. And it, and as much as it's great being in a band and it's ace fun, there's also a lot of downsides to it. And it is a job of work. You know, and a lot of kids would think, oh, God, I can't believe it. you're in a band, you're in the charts, you're going on top of the pops. Your life couldn't be any better, could it? But that isn't really the case. You know, there's, there's an awful lot of behind the scenes things that you have to sort out. And then you don't really have the chance to stop and and appreciate the success you're having because you might be having that success and then you're being told off somebody that well you've got to get to Spain and do that or you've got where's that b-side that we you promised us three weeks ago so you know it was only after the 90s finished really and there was a little bit of a lull that we actually stopped and thought oh good god that happened to us and and we did that and wow do you remember when we did that and do you remember when we really fell out about that you know and that's the great thing now is the fact we've kind of with age comes experience and i don't think we'd ever find ourselves in the situation where we're all arguing about petty things because it doesn't matter anymore you know it just really doesn't matter whereas when you're 23 and you're all fighting to have the biggest ego the littlest of things who had that last custard cream that would create a huge drama for weeks you know <laughs> but these things every band would say the same you know looking at your face now as you talk about those early days i can see that you're looking back with a great deal of fondness and, aff- and affection while you were there in the eye of the storm and i guess you sort of covered this in a little bit already did you realize the impact that you were having at the time or would have on the bands of today no i think the first time that i actually genuinely thought that was when we reformed to play a week of gigs in 2007 because we hadn't done anything for three or four years and we all just discovered i mean york's quite a small place alan the drummer at the time was my brother-in-law so we all kind of we didn't fall out when we stopped for a while we, we just kind of went our separate ways for a few years but we'd meet up and we'd go for meals and we'd have drinks as friends um and then i think I think it just came up in conversation one day by one of us saying, how great would it be to do a gig? We've not done that for ages. It'd be just brilliant to get out. Because obviously when you pick up a guitar or whatever and learn it, it's because you want to stand on a stage and show off. And we just all missed showing off. So we, in 2007, we put a run of shows on sale um, with no big fanfare. You know, we just wanted to just play a few gigs. But the interest in it was quite incredible and it kind of, made us kind of stand back and go what's this all about because we had to add gigs we had to upgrade venues for ticket demand and then when we eventually went and did these gigs you know this is probably maybe nine years since our last big hits and we're playing songs like disco down and on standby and getting better and going for gold and chasing rainbows to these people and we'd kind of almost forgotten about this you know and everyone's singing every word back and we're thinking oh well Uh, And that was the first time that I personally thought, right, okay, so what we did do all that time ago actually meant something to people and they've taken it to the hearts and they still listen to it at home now. And I'm thinking, well, well, so it was a bit of a, not a shock because them songs are great and they deserve to do what they did, but it's more the fact that the staying power was there, you know, because you never know that when you write something, you never know how it's going to connect. You never know if it's going to be a one-it wonder or it's going to suddenly become an, a bit of an embarrassment down the line. So that's another reason why, as you say, I kind of look back fondly. It's because we've kind of achieved something and it's a, a really nice thing to be able to be in my early 50s and feel like I've achieved something. But we also have put an awful lot of hard work into it. Reckon working up another sweat field There's nothing I can do But count parts and bleeding hearts And all the things that fall apart That's that. 
surprises a lot of people they see the success they see the top of the pops appearances but they don't see all the hard work and the graft and the years behind all that mm, as you say yeah. it is a job it is totally that yeah yeah and certainly in the 90s when it was hardcore you know you'd release a single but the record label would want two or three versions of a single which meant you'd maybe have to have six b-sides so you, you basically it's not just releasing a song you've got to have six new songs to help push that song you know it's, there's lots and lots of things that, that that go on you know i mean the whole industry has changed so much I'm still learning now, you know. Um, we had a new album out in 2017 called Instant Pleasures that was the first new material in 16 years for us. So it was a totally new ball game. And that did okay, you know. And But I think um, I think the reason why this album's connected a little bit more is because we'd done that comeback album after being away for so long with new music. So this made us relax a lot more because... We knew that people were still into it. And as long as we came up with the goods and wrote good songs, we knew that anything could happen. And of course, it just really has. But I do, at the same time, I do believe this is this set of songs that we've just released is a really strong, solid album. And I think it hopefully in the years to come might go down as a bit of a classic because it's, it's a proper album. It's like an old school proper album where every song deserves to be on there and it takes you on a journey.
to start writing again and you think oh, I've got a song I've got two songs or oh, I've got an EP I've got an album coming does it get easier to write the songs where do you find the inspiration from I think if you're told you've got to do something it makes it more difficult so we in 2022 me and Paul sat down in maybe March and thought right shall we start thinking about writing some new stuff 
Uh, we didn't want to put any pressure on ourselves. So we just, yeah, let's... We had a little chat, actually, about us growing up and us meeting as kids. Um, and we had a little chat about that and thought, why don't we kind of... Why don't we kind of keep that in mind while we're writing? And I think, ultimately, this album's become a little bit of a love letter to our former young selves, really. And there's lots of little niche nods to things in this album that you perhaps wouldn't pick up on unless you were told. Um, even to the point where there's a few muse- lyrical nods to Shed Seven's 90s past. You know, there's there's a lyric in Real Love, uh, in the middle bit of Real Love, that says, I've got this feeling this won't last the night. And that's a lyric off a song we had called Lies off a Maximum High album where I sing the exact same words. So there's, you know, there's subtle little nods here and there to our past. So it's almost like a love letter to our former selves, which is nice.
weirdly with this album, it just all seemed to come together. There was no problem with it. Usually an album will take quite a long time to write and you'll have your ups and downs and, and the creative juices will dry up every now and again and you've got to wait for them to come back. But really weirdly with this album, we started writing it in 2022 in March and it was done by Christmas in 2022 and nearly everything we tried just worked. It was There was hardly anything that we struggled with, uh, you know, musically, lyrically, melodically. We just knew, uh, certainly after we'd written about six of them, you know, we're just thinking, well, what is going on here? It's weird. You know, we did a few festivals that summer and I remember me and Paul did a really rough demo of In Ecstasy pre-Rowetta and I remember going to this festival somewhere and we're hanging around backstage waiting to play and I was literally going round the rest of the band with this melody that I'd hummed into a dictaphone over a really shoddy sounding guitar going, listen to this, this is going to sound amazing. And of course it does. And it's, I think the excitement throughout the whole writing process was just there. And 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 it's, uh, annoyingly, me and Paul did discuss when we knew we'd written the album let's carry on we're obviously on a big purple patch here let's just carry on because we can maybe you know get a bit more out of this for a, a future album but annoyingly going away to spain to record it and coming home and then having a few kind of behind the scenes issues with other things meant we kind of stopped so we're going to have to somehow at some point get back on that saddle but i'm not bothered about that right now i've just been number one thanks stop pressuring me mate well i was going to say pressure off i, I must say a fantastically apt title for your first number one album as well. A matter of time. Mm, yes, that everything. This is what I'm saying. Everything about this whole thing just seems to. It's like the stars have aligned. Everything about it just works and feels right. And yeah, so obviously the reason, probably the, the main reason why it's called that is because it's a lyric lifted out of the last song on the album called Throwaways. Again, when I say the album takes you on a journey it culminates in hearing the album title right at the very, very end of it. And funnily enough, our most loved album in the past is probably A Maximum High, released in 96. And A Maximum High is taken from a lyric in the last song of that album, uh, Parallel Lines. So there's a few connections with our most popular album from 96 with this album as well. So, you know, it's just all really weird. It's, it's like it was always meant to be, which is a weird thing, really.
I loved uh, the Talk the Town single when I heard it. But for anyone, for, for younger listeners who, are, who maybe aren't familiar with Shed 7, how would you describe the sound of the band? Well, we've been, we've been described by so many people as so many different things. I would say we're, we're an indie rock band that's, you know, with elements of pop in there. So, yes, we're Britpop in that respect, but we're so much more than that. And and another th- great thing that I feel at the minute is the fact that we aren't some type of nostalgic act from the 90s anymore, which we were becoming slightly because we were just used to going out every other year and playing our old hits, which was working and everyone was loving it. But it would have become a time where people would have got bored of that and probably wanted to move on. So the fact we've released two brand new albums in the last six years culminating in this one going to number one it means we're just a very relevant good live rock band so and long may that continue as well
well, you look like you're living your best life right now. I mean, a number one album and a fantastic album, I have to say. It's a really strong collection of songs. You know, everybody is shouting out about Shed 7, quite rightly. What plans It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's amazing. Usually, usually people would be shouting out saying, you're rubbish, go away. Now it's suddenly the other way. It's amazing. I love it. <laughs> I, I, I think it's fantastic. Where can we see you guys play live? Where can we catch you? So... Um, as we've said at the beginning, it's our 30th anniversary year, so um, we've got lots planned. We, unfortunately, everything that, well, I say unfortunately, it's brilliant for me, but unfortunately for anyone who might want a ticket, everything we've got booked in and advertised as we speak has sold out. But we are about to announce a huge tour at the end of the year. We, we would usually do a tour every other year, uh, and it's become um, affectionately known as Shed Sember. So we'll be announcing a Shed Sember that might actually be uh, be a bit Shed Vember as well because it might be starting in November. So that's something to look out for. We'll be advertising or, or announcing that very soon. And it's our 30th anniversary, so anything could happen. We've got some great plans, um, but we don't want to announce everything at the same time because it's a bit, a bit overkill. But then we might be revisiting some of our old hits and maybe putting a big orchestra on the top of it. So that this thing's happening, and we'll announce as and when. So if people want to keep their eye on our social medias, um, they will get to find these things out. But happy 30th to us. If I had a glass of champagne, I'd raise it. But it's 11 in the morning on a Wednesday, so I'm not doing that. As much as I am a rock and roller, I draw the line somewhere. <laughs> I'm gonna make my way around your town today So step out of the way But please enjoy the gentle push in my bicycle It's like a poet, poetry in motion Slipping through the city streets, thoroughfares and junctions And if you're feeling kinda
Sleeve Note is brought to you by Tune Media and SoundOnShape.com.